Welcome to Sermons from Holy Trinity. Holy Trinity Lutheran Church is committed to the preaching of Jesus Christ crucified and risen for the justification of the sinner by grace through faith for Jesus' sake. And now a sermon from Pastor William Swirla of Holy Trinity Lutheran Church. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, that is the twin, was not with them when Jesus appeared. That's one of the more intriguing verses of this morning's gospel. Where on earth was Thomas on Easter Sunday? Why wasn't he with the rest of the disciples in that upper room on that first Easter Eve? Was he with his twin brother, perhaps? Was he in hiding somewhere? Where did he go? Why wasn't he with his congregation? In the Gospels, Thomas is always buried in the middle of the pack when the names of the disciples are listed, usually lumped in with Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew, the tax collector. In John's Gospel, Thomas is the disciple who always manages to say the wrong thing for all the right reasons. When Jesus set out to Bethany to attend to his friend Lazarus who had died, it was Thomas who chimed in, let us also go that we may die with him. Truer words could never have been spoken, but not for the reasons Thomas thought. When, in the upper, when they were in the upper room, Jesus told his disciples he was going to prepare a place for them in his father's house. And Thomas piped in, Lord, we don't know where you're going, and so how then can we know the way? Thomas was the C student of the disciples, always trying but never quite getting it. And whenever he chimed in, he always seemed to be a sentence or two behind the action. Thomas missed the big event, the first big appearance of Jesus risen from the dead. Jesus appeared before his disciples in that locked upper room, perhaps the same room that they had celebrated the Passover where he had instituted the Lord's Supper and had taught them and prayed with them. He appeared and he showed them his hands and his side It was the real Jesus, the one who had been crucified, right there with them. He had the marks to prove it. And then he blessed them with his peace. Peace be with you, he said, the peace that comes from those wounds of his death. His words give what they say. And then he breathed on them, and he gave them more words, receive the Holy Spirit. And so they got a little sneak preview of Pentecost, a little breath and the Spirit. Fifty days later, big wind and the Spirit. He authorized them to forgive and to retain sins. He established the office of the Holy Ministry. And Thomas missed all of it. You see what happens when you miss church? You miss out on all the Jesus gifts. You miss out on the Jesus appearance. And so the others brought the Easter good news to Jesus. We've seen the Lord. And Thomas replied, I don't believe it. And I'll never believe it 
until I see it for myself. Until I see those nail marks and until I see that spear mark and until I stick my finger in those wounds, I will not believe it. We sometimes call him Doubting Thomas, but really he's Unbelieving Thomas. He refuses to believe the message of the eyewitnesses, his own friends and companions, his fellow disciples. Thomas must see it for himself or he will never believe. I'll believe it when I see it. Ever hear yourself say that? It's a common phrase. It literally rolls off our lips like a cliche. Your kid says, I'm going to clean my room, and you say, I'll believe it when I see it. Uh, Remember that famous line from Cuba Gooding in the movie Jerry Maguire, show me the money. Don't just talk about it. Show it to me. Don't make a bunch of empty promises. I want to see it. Show me. That's the unofficial state slogan for the state of Missouri. It's on their license plates, the show me state. Some people attribute it to Congressman Willard Duncan Vandiver, who in 1899 said in a speech, this great sentence, I come from a state that raises corn and cotton and cockleburs and Democrats, and frothy eloquence neither convinces nor does it satisfy me. I am from Missouri You've got to show me. So that's where they get the show me state from. Thomas would have made a good Missourian, I think. Seeing is believing, talk is cheap, show me. Thomas wants to see and he wants to touch the evidence. The great good news of Easter. It's one thing to hear the good news we've seen the Lord. It's quite another thing to touch him. To see him with your own eyes, risen from the dead. And who can, who, can, who can really blame Thomas, huh? Perhaps the disciples were hallucinating. Maybe they encountered a Jesus lookalike. Perhaps this was a case of mass hysteria brought on by that weird news from the women about the open and empty tomb. Thomas wanted to see and touch a real flesh and blood Jesus. He wanted to see and touch those nail marks and that spear mark. Then there would be no doubt about it. This was the crucified one, risen. And so a week later, the next Sunday, you ever notice how in John, Jesus always appears to a group of people gathered in a room on a Sunday? Duh! He again appears to the disciples gathered together in the locked upper room, first day of the week. There's this pattern here. And, and, you know, Jesus promised where two or three are gathered in his name, there he would be in their midst. And so he's doing this here. He's establishing his church, his post-resurrection people. And this time Thomas comes to church. He makes it that Sunday. It's a little different than most Lutherans who come on Easter Sunday and then take the next week off. Thomas misses Easter, but he comes the following Sunday. Doubts, unbeliefs, and all. Hmm. And Jesus again is there, appearing to them in the flesh, no knocking on the door, no sneaking in the window. He just appears as though he's always been there because he has always been there as he promised. And he shows them his wounds and again speaks his peace. And then this wonderful thing happens. He singles out Thomas. He looks right at him and he says, here it is, Thomas. This is what you wanted to see. My hands, my side, go ahead. Touch my wounds. Don't be unbelieving, Jesus says, but believing. 
Jesus had heard what Thomas had said that week, and Jesus answered Thomas' unbelief with the proof Thomas was looking for. The funny thing is that Thomas never seems to have gotten around to touching Jesus. The sight of it was enough, and he simply cries out his confession, my Lord and my God. By the way, keep that verse handy in your hip pocket, my Lord and my God, what Thomas says to Jesus on the sight of uh, Jesus' wounds. The next time that somebody says to you that Jesus never said he was God, Here Thomas calls Jesus both his God and his Lord. And if that weren't true, then Jesus, as a good rabbi, would have rebuked Thomas on the spot for taking the Lord's name in vain. You don't call people God and Lord unless they are. But instead, Jesus praises Thomas, and he goes on to bless those who believe the same thing and yet who have not seen. That's you. My Lord and my God. Crucified and risen, bearing the marks of his cross, or as the hymn writer puts it, rich wounds yet visible above in beauty glorified. There's no mistaking this Jesus for any other Jesus in the world. He has wounds, and by those wounds you are healed. They say that scars lend character to a person, especially on the face. I'm not talking about the self-inflicted scars that the kids do these days. That's a different problem entirely. I'm talking about the wounds that you sustain in life, either the wounds that others do to you or the wounds that happen by accident. You know, I have this funny little Y-shaped scar on my forehead here due to 20 rather hasty stitches in the emergency room after I crashed into a concrete light pole playing touch football during my senior year of high school. Those who remember the incident still talk about the scar, and they talk about the incident. They remember the bloody scene on the playground when I crashed full stride into the pole. We called it a post pattern, you know, so. (laughs) I remember that it got me out of a whole year of swim class, which I hated. I I milked that injury for all it was worth, I assure you. But the scar there reminds me always of the incident. It's never forgotten. It's part of the character. I got another little one here that I'm told was due to the corner of a coffee table when I was three years old. I don't remember that one. The scars of Jesus' crucifixion remain in his resurrection body. That's a wonderful gift. They convinced the skeptical disciple that the Easter news was true. Jesus had risen. They are entered as evidence into the courtroom of history today. No, you and I cannot see them and we can't examine them. But the disciples, including Thomas, did see them and they did examine them and they were convinced. Over 500 people at one time saw those wounds and they testified to the world. Peter once too cowardly to admit that he even knew Jesus to a little servant girl, saw those wounds and he preached the resurrection to thousands in Jerusalem. James, the brother of the Lord who did not believe in the gospel, saw those wounds and he believed, became the bishop of Jerusalem. Tradition tells us that Thomas went on to establish the church in India, one of the oldest churches in Christianity. There is still a church there today called St. Thomas Church. 
There's hope for those C students after all, isn't there? People gave their lives rather than deny that they had seen Jesus risen in the flesh. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Jesus is talking to us, you and me. You get a beatitude from Jesus. Blessed are you. You're not given to see or to touch. Your witness is a different kind of witness. But you are given to hear the testimony of those eyewitnesses, including Thomas. John, who was there, recorded these things for you. And he says, he recorded them that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing would have life in his name. That believing is not simply believing the bare fact that Jesus died on a cross and rose from the dead three days later. Even the devils know this and they shudder with fear. It's believing that is trusting that this death of Jesus on the cross actually atoned for your sin, and indeed, as John says, for the sin of the world. That this life laid down was the sacrifice of the Son of God, who was the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. That Jesus was not simply a good man who died an awful death, but he was the Son of God in the flesh who died in your place, who became your sin and by dying conquered your death so that in him you would live forever. It's believing that because Jesus lives, you too will live. Because his grave is empty, your grave will be empty on the last day. And what people said about Jesus on that first Easter, they will say about you on the big Easter, Resurrection Day, he is not here, he has risen. It's believing that our greatest enemy, death itself, the wages of our sin, has been dealt with once and for all by Jesus. It's believing that his words are true, that they are spirit and life. They are the words of the crucified and risen one, and with those words, he forgives us. And he gives us his own body and blood as surely as Thomas saw those wounds in his hands and his side on that Sunday morning. A.N. Wilson, a writer and biographer, grew up as a Christian. In his 40s, he lost his faith, and he became an ardent atheist keeping company with some of the famous atheists of our day. Recently, he wrote of his reconversion to Christianity in a wonderfully written essay that was published entitled, Why I Believe Again. He recalls in that article an incident of a young minister who had feared that he had lost his faith in God. Distressed, he went to the late Archbishop Michael Ramsey seeking advice for what to do. He lost his faith. And all the archbishop said to this distressed young minister was, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. He told him, simply continue worshiping Jesus in the sacrament, and faith would return. Wilson then writes, For a few years, I resisted the admission that my atheist conversion experience had been a bit of middle-aged madness. I do not find it easy to articulate thoughts about religion. I remain the sort of person who turns off the thought for the day when it comes on the radio, 
I am shy to admit that I have followed the advice given all those years ago by that wise archbishop to a bewildered young man that moments of unbelief do not matter. That if you return to the faith, faith will return to you. What I learn here from Thomas is to bring your doubts to church, just as Thomas did that second Sunday. We all have our doubts. I certainly can relate to that young minister. That could have been me many times over, over these 16 years. That could have been me. If we're going to be people of faith, living in a world of unbelief, there will be doubt. Perhaps it's over such things as evolution. Perhaps it's over things that you struggle with in your own lives. Perhaps it's over the chaos of this world that seems to have very little of God left in it. The only thing that you don't want to do is let your doubt become unbelief. Let your doubt get between you and Jesus. Let your doubt cause you to reject what Jesus has won for you. Instead, bring your doubts, bring your questions, your unresolved issues, as we like to say, to the word, to the table, to baptism. You may not get the answer that you're looking for, as Thomas did, but you will surely get an answer. And you will discover that the long road of faith is a slow and oftentimes grinding road that doesn't offer easy answers and simplistic solutions. And the Christian faith just simply does not fit on bumper stickers and pins. All you have is a Jesus with healing wounds and saving spirit-filled words. And again, I quote from A.N. Wilson, my departure from the faith to atheism was like a conversion on the road to Damascus. But my return to the faith was slow, hesitant, doubting. And so it will always be. But I know that I shall never again make the same mistake. Blessed are those who have not seen and who yet believed. In the name of Jesus. Thank you for listening to Sermons from Holy Trinity. Services at Holy Trinity are Sundays at 9 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Holy Trinity Lutheran Church is located at 15710 Newton Street in Hacienda Heights, California, and on the web at www.htlcms.org.